They swapped out Robert Williams for Grant. They went smaller. And Boston was unstoppable after that 57-27 run. Grant Williams on the floor for that whole 17 minutes to close out the half. And and that was it. The game was over after that. And looking at the way they beat them, you can make adjustments to that, but they'll probably find another way to beat you because in the first game, it was 40 or 50 points in the paint. Going big. Last, last year, I felt like there was this transformative moment. Like, there was a moment where Pat Connaughton for the Bucks became like a household mm-hmm. joke almost, where everybody's like, Pat Connaughton, because the guy just suddenly made everything that you asked him to make last year. And it was a huge part of, a huge quiet part of why the Bucks won the championship. I felt like that was what we were seeing with Grant when we went off, because you're right, this has happened, what, three or four times in the playoffs, where all of a sudden Grant Williams steps on the floor and it's like, okay, the, you, you can't stop him, you can only try and contain him, and I can't believe I'm saying that about Grant Williams. And that's, to your point, and I think it's a, it's a, an, a smart one that they went small and once they went small Miami had no answer I don't know if Miami has the right bodies to match up for what we saw it's like once they hit that stride it was like watching a fight that got out of control and you just wish the refs could stop it it's Spade and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, Seth Greenberg uh, was on Keyshawn J. Will and Max this morning talking about how the Celtics have used what you would expect from them ever since about January when they changed their path and that was defense and physicality Marcus Smart and Al Harford totally change him. And all of a sudden, now you have a seven-man rotation. Now, all of a sudden, Peyton Pritchard, who's really a good player, but the longer he's on the court, the less effective he is because now, all of a sudden, you can pick on him defensively. Uh, Marcus Smart takes pressure off of Tatum. Tatum got other people involved early. They've been dominant for seven quarters. They've been dominant for seven quarters. The size, the length, the athleticism, the physicality of Boston overwhelmed the heat. And Jimmy, Jimmy Butler can't guard Tatum, Brown, and the rest of this Celtic team. It's just its just that difficult. The length and athleticism, physicality of Boston has overwhelmed the heat in seven of the eight quarters. And I don't know, like, what changes that, right? I mean, to to the point that, that Coach made and to the point that you've made, the Celtics can beat you a lot of ways. And, you know, we've sat here so long and wondered – what the big change was for them in the second half of the season, and there have been some tweaks. But this team in the playoffs just flat out shoots better than anybody, finds open, looks better than anybody, and they're doing it. I don't know how you slow them down. I genuinely don't like if you if looking at who they've made it through. I keep thinking, well, the next series somebody will figure it out, and nobody does. Like the Celtics can just outshoot everybody. Yeah, uh, we'll listen to some sound from uh, Jimmy Butler later in the show as he tries to convince himself and others that they have something coming back for Game 3 that will even things out. But that's what it looked like last night, absolute destruction. Uh, yet another game in this postseason of late where it's been completely lopsided, where you can tune out after about the third quarter and the game is over. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. That's kind of what it was in Game 1. For the Mavs and Warriors, will that be different tonight? It's time for Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Kendrick Perkins thinks so. He was on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max and said he thinks that this Mavs team is going to make this go to seven. That series going seven. Really? Look, listen, let me explain something to y'all real quick. It's the same thing that happened with Boston. When you're coming off a of game seven and you have a quick turnaround, one, you don't get a chance to prep, and the other team been waiting on you. I'm not knocking anything that Golden State did. They were fantastic, uh, you know, on both ends of the floor. I thought especially on the defensive side of things. But Dallas look a step slow. Okay. You know why? Because of the travel, the one-day rest, you know, and getting right back into the things. You have to realize 
that's what goes into a game seven, the mentality, having that, that anxiety and then finishing the mission, all of a sudden you relax a little bit. You will see a completely different Luka Doncic and Dallas Maverick team tonight. I'll tell you what, Fitz. Uh, we certainly have given the Celtics after game one the excuse of no rest, game seven, etc. We didn't really offer that to the Mavs. Uh, and I think that says something about our expectations for those series, but perhaps unfairly so if they come out looking really good tonight. Yeah, but there's also a part of me like they got an extra day in there, right? I mean, game seven was on Sunday. Game one mm-hmm. for the Mavs uh, Warriors series wasn't till Wednesday. Like, I don't believe me. I'm not big enough to take on Perk and anything, but I think that's a little off there because they got a couple of days to get right. And if that couple of days didn't help them, how's one day now going to suddenly change the series? Like, well, if you mindset, told me that there was, right. a, a, if you told me there was like a three day gap, then it'd be like, okay, everybody got their legs under them. But no, this they got to turn this thing right around and figure out how to not get their butts whooped. I think there's something to it. I don't think it's as simple as just literal time. I think it's moving on to the next series. I think it's getting your head in place to figure out who you're facing next and how you want to approach it. Um, you I, you know, I'd have to look back and see exactly when Golden State was done. Uh, I think I think they finished that series. They finished um, on Saturday, I think. Was it Saturday? There could have been no. It was Friday. I'm looking back now. They they eliminated yeah, the Warriors. They on eliminated Friday. the Warriors on Friday. So, or no, the war. You're talking Warriors. Uh, the, yeah, they they eliminated Memphis on Friday. Um, so I do think that you know, as much as Dallas, you know, played Sunday. That's two days right there, before you even get to the time before the start of their series. Um, so I, I I think there's something to it. Um, I, I I haven't changed my mind about who I think wins the series, but I do think we didn't afford the Mavs much in the way of that time to get ready. It's Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. NBA playoffs are right here on ESPN Radio. Tune in tonight for Game 2 of the Western Conference Finals as the Warriors host the Mavs, presented by Indeed. Coverage begins at 8.30 p.m. Eastern on most ESPN radio stations. Coming up, Jonathan Zaslow of W60 WQAM joins us to tell us what the Heat have to do to bounce back. got to get to the bottom of what went down not last night when the heat got torched but the first game when Tyler Hero's shirt was apparently backless I can't find any actual <laughs> proof of this but I have been told that that sleeveless matching bottom top number was not only whatever the heck it looked like from the front but was also backless and, and we have just the man to help us with that Jonathan Zaslow host of the Zaslow show on 560 WQAM we'll get to the basketball Zaz, but have we have we seen any proof of this backless number that I've heard about? Uh, Sarah, you, you think it was like the gown that they put us in when we're in the hospital? That's what I have been told. 
According no, to, I, I mean, according I, to Brian I look, Windhorse and others, there is actual reporting being done by the best in the business that that shirt had a sort of top collar and waist connection, <laughs> and it was completely backless in the middle. I, I'll tell you, for for a kid who is is from the Wisconsin area, he <laughs> he's very South Beach. He oh, fits yeah. in very very well down here. Uh, I don't I don't have any proof myself. I certainly did not see the back of that shirt. You know, I got the same view as all you guys as far as the press conference afterward or even before the game when he arrives. Uh, but I am not aware of it being backless. Wait, the, the real question here is you just said, you know, he fits right in. Is this like a, a, a trend down there? Like, am I missing something? Am I, should, should I start rocking a backless shirt in Connecticut just to show people no, how trendy no, I am? No, 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 no. Well, listen, listen. All right. Uh, South Beach is not my scene anymore. All right. <laughs> I don't know if it ever was my scene, but I'm pretty certain if he's walking around there or you're walking around there, go right ahead and you got the backlist thing going on, no one's going to do double takes. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, Fitz, if you're closer to anyone, it's more of a Pritchard than a hero. Okay. I, you know, no judgment. <laughs> but uh, Zazzle, let's talk about what happened last night. I thought so much of what we saw in game one in that third quarter was something I could attribute to the old rust versus rest, right? They started to get lazy and passing. The Celtics couldn't be as aggressive defending starting at half court. Um, they weren't as aggressive going to the to the lane where they had so much success in the first half, making 40 of 50 points in the paint. All of that made sense to me. Like, it, it fell apart for them in ways that seemed to connect to the story. I didn't expect what I saw last night, though. I thought the Celtics would win the game, but what happened? Yeah, well, I, I would say at, at halftime, I was, I was texting with, you know, one of your ESPN radio hosts and my former right. co-host, Amber Wilson. I was texting with her at halftime of the first game, and she's worried about the Heat being down by eight. And I, and I, I pretty much said to her, like, exactly what you're talking about, where the Celtics going to wear down in the second half. They just got out of a grueling seven-game series. They've only had, the, you know, the one or two days in between. I don't remember what it was. And the Heat have been off and waiting. Like, we're going to wear them down come the second half. And that's exactly what it was. When you get turnovers the way the Celtics were giving away the ball in the third quarter, a lot of times that, that's, that's a fatigue yeah. kind of thing when you're making mental mistakes like that. Uh, didn't expect to be 39-14, to 14, but I did expect the Heat to wear them out in the second half. Uh, yeah, and obviously really surprised about what took place last night. But here's the thing. You, you know, I, I, I did I miss the memo and tomorrow night right before the game starts in Boston game three? Are they raising the 2022 championship banner? Uh -oh, because that's what it feels like after the game yesterday. Uh -oh. no, 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 I'm not getting defensive. No, I'm not getting defensive. I'm not getting defensive. But it, it feels like, like one of the things I love about the NBA playoffs is the pendulum swing from one game to the next. You know, and everyone was on the heat after game one. And after game two, the Celtics just won the championship and the series is over. And it's like, let, let's, this is going to be a long series here. They had a stinker, the Heat. No doubt about it. All right. And the Celtics, they're healthy now. And they've been the best team in basketball, maybe you could say, for a couple months now. They've certainly been the most impressive team in the postseason so far. I think that's undisputable. But... Man, like, the, our reactions really swing from one direction to the other after a game, and this is going to be a long series. Okay, so what's an appropriate reaction to that butt-whooping? Like, if, if you're sitting there in Miami, how do you compartmentalize it all? Oh, it, like, the appropriate reaction is totally saying that Boston kicked the Heat's butt. Like, that is the appropriate reaction. The inappropriate reaction, I think, is when we say the series is over. Like, am, 
and, and there, there's a difference between the series being over and thinking Team X is going to win. Like, those are not the same things. And I feel like you could think Boston's going to win this series. That's perfectly fine. Heck, they were favored before the series started, you know. But the idea that the series is over, as if the Heat, who were number one in the East, who we, we know are a really good team, they, they can't go to Boston and win a road game? They can't win a road game? So what has Tell to go right for them? What has to go right for them? Because we saw Jimmy got to the line a ton in the first game, and he got those bursts of energy from Hero. Mm-hmm. I mean, clearly, Bam has to show up, right? I mean, that's part of what needs to change. Well, so so that's that's where I would start. Look, Jimmy was great again yesterday. He had 29 points, didn't, yeah, didn't play in the fourth quarter the because, yeah. Yeah. you know, like Jimmy was great again yesterday, but I, I, go to, I go to Bam where I feel like, I feel like down here we have too many games, and it could be a playoff game or it could even be big regular season games where the game is over, the heat loss. It's like, man, we need more from Bam. Like, I, I feel like we say that way too often here. He had six points on six field goal attempts. I mean, it's terrible. There's no other way to spin it. And it's not as if, like last round against Philadelphia, all right, Bam, hey, your job is to, is to deny Joel Embiid the ball, make life really difficult on him, and you need to spend 100% of your energy on the defensive side. And that means your teammates got to pick you up on the offensive end. That ain't the case this series, all right? No disrespect to Robert Williams III. But, Bam, I mean, play your regular defense. Do your thing. You're, it's why you're one of the best defensive players in the league and also need more than six points and six field goal attempts on the other end. Here's also the thing. Like, you look at, you look at the main players for these teams, and the Celtics' starting backcourt is so much more talented than the Heats, okay? You put Struess and Vincent up against Brown and Smart, and, like, it's a blowout. And then you look at the front court, and now you got Butler and Tatum, maybe it's the wash. Well, that's where Bam needs to come into play and make up the rest of that difference among that group, and it can't be six points on six field goal attempts. So what big adjustment can Spolstra make, aside from just getting Bam to play better, uh, to get them to be more competitive? Well, yeah, I mean, they, they need to find ways. It's not just to, you know, get Bam knows he needs to play better, but he's going to have to find ways to get Bam the ball in better positions. And part of that is, man, like that's where they really miss Kyle Lowry because this Celtics team, they're so good defensively. And if you're not moving the ball, the Heat are one of the best ball movement teams in the NBA throughout the season. But now minus Kyle Lowry and against probably the best defensive team in the NBA, they're not moving the ball well enough. And it can't just be Jimmy Butler facilitating out there. Like Jimmy Butler will get his, like you saw last night. But they're not going to allow him. They're not going to allow the team to move the ball the way that they have most of the year. Now, look, Kyle Lowry, the injury report that came out a couple hours ago, has been upgraded to questionable. I mean, I know as much as you guys do about that situation. I mean, he made the trip. Uh, I, I suppose there's a chance he's going to wind up playing. I, I think it's – I don't expect him to play – but if Kyle Lowry gets up there, gets out there, that's a major difference maker. Not because yeah. of what he's going to do scoring-wise, but they really miss him moving the basketball. So that's the biggest thing for Coach Spolsters. They need to find a way not only to get Bam in better spots and get the ball in his hands, but they got to find a way to move the ball better overall against that Celtics defense. And I think that's what we all want, too, is for both teams to be full strength, 
both teams to be playing well and for it to come down to something at the end because the back and forth blowouts aren't nearly as fun. Hey, thanks so much for the insight. Jonathan Zaslow, host of the Zaslow Show on 560 WQAM. We promise we won't say the series is over. We don't think it is. We still think it's going to be a nice long series, uh, but obviously Heat have to bounce back. Thanks for the time. Jonathan. It's not over. The series doesn't end after two games. It's not over. Even if the, oh. if the Warriors win tonight, that's their don't say that series yeah. is over if the Warriors go up two outs. Not spoken, over. spoken like a Miami guy. Just like it's Tyler Hero, oh, no, straight out of I'm South kidding. Beach. Uh, thank you, Jonathan. It's Spain and Fitz. There's Spain, right. Jason Fitz. Good stuff out of Miami there. Um, exactly what we hope for. Heat culture won't let it be over, Fitz. We know that that's the case. Uh, coming up, the incredible story of a former Major League Baseball player whose life changed at a moment when he refound purpose in baseball again. It's next. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and obviously with everything we've been talking about all month, sometimes it's hard to press pause on uh, conversations that we love about the NBA and sports in general and have serious conversations about mental health and what it means for everybody, but that's something that's important to this show, and it's important for everybody right now to listen to difficult conversations. Uh, So we want to bring on somebody now that knows this better than anybody. Drew Robinson joining us, former Major League Baseball player, now uh, with the San Francisco Giants uh, as uh, helping with mental health for players. And Drew, I appreciate you joining us. For anyone that hasn't heard your story, uh, it's incredible. There's an E60 on it. Uh, there's an article on ESPN.com that I, I would tell everybody to check it out. I'll tweet it out so people can see it. Um, obviously, you uh, attempted suicide and you lived through that attempt. And now uh, you are using that platform to talk to people. How difficult is it for you to constantly relive a, such a dark moment for you? Yeah, I mean, um, obviously, every once in a while it gets to me um, kind of talking about just bluntly the worst day of my life over and over. But um, I think for me, it's something that I'm passionate about because it simply was the worst day of my life. And unfortunately, especially with social media these days and how open or how accessible everybody's life is to everybody, um, it's obvious that a lot of people, unfortunately, are feeling the way that I was feeling um, the month leading up to my attempt. So um, while I'm talking about that specific day a lot, I'm also trying to amplify more. So the two years um, post-incident and all the things that I've learned from being forced to have nothing to lose and open up and really kind of address these things that are going on inside me um, and finding some incredible and some serious benefits from that. So um, I guess really the, the, my attempt is the eye catcher, um, but really uh, hopefully it's the message and all the experiences and lessons learned that I've um, gone through since my incident, which I'm really passionate about sharing that those things could have happened without my attempt. So that's why I'm so open about this and so willing to talk about it. Because like I said, I genuinely wish that no one in the world ever feels the way that I did um, on the day of and the, the month leading up to it. Jeff Passon did a remarkable job telling your story. And one of the most important things I thought that you articulated to him was that realizing after your suicide attempt that you wanted to live and that there was 
uh, purpose for you that you had been, you know, you had survived for a reason um, doesn't mean that everything post that moment has been idyllic and that you want to share that with people that the, the, the troubles and the struggles of being alive and struggling with mental health don't go away because of this, but that you found better tools. So can you talk about that aspect of it? I think that's really important. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, um, I was I, I was convinced for a while that I was, um, I guess, scotch free from um, all the ingrained habits and thought patterns that I had before. And that kind of played into the 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 um, decision making to ultimately try to take my life. Um, and so having that near death experience and having really just a miracle happen um, to just bluntly, again, survive, but then also have a pretty powerful experience afterwards of really opening up myself and sharing the way I actually thought about things and cared about people and having and, and honestly accepting the support that I had throughout my life um, from the people that loved me. Um, I was kind of convinced that I was never going to have a bad day again. And when I got back to doing normal daily activities and getting back to life responsibilities and things like that, after I, I physically healed, um, that really threw me for a spin because just simply life is hard sometimes. And again, there was a part of me that was a little naive and thinking I was going to be able to use that experience uh, to kind of feel me through any kind of adversity and never feel those negative feelings again. And when I did, like I said, it really threw me off. And that's been something that I've, I've realized these last few years that it could be something that I'm just dealing, going to have to deal with the rest of my life. But yeah. um, like you said, I've, I've totally committed to trying literally anything I, that I can to set myself up to be the best version of myself and be at my best, um, knowing that I'm not going to necessarily be at my best at every second of every day, but having the awareness and understanding that um, even if I'm not, that's totally okay um, and that I can realistically just learn from it. So I've totally committed to the process. Like I said, um, I'm, I'm confident and I almost like try to brag about the fact that I do weekly therapy sessions. Yeah. Um, I, totally committed to exercise for the mental gains instead of any kind of physical gains, um, meditation, journaling. And I've gone through the process of being really open-minded about trying to find a medication that works for me. Um, and unfortunately I couldn't find the right fit and I experienced some serious side effects with them. Um, and then that's when I found or ultimately found, um, it came across or I was educated on Neurostar TMS, which is really just a remarkable technology that, like I said, has just become a huge and honestly just a really critical part of my recovery process because, um, like I said, the, the the how amazing the technology is, and it's just to do a quick rundown. It's a, it's just a non-drug um, depression treatment um, by with a medical machine that helps stimulate a part of the brain that is underactive in people who have major wow. depressive disorders. So, um, like I said, that's. Just a quick rundown of that, but those all those tools are something that I'm totally committed to. And for someone who these last years have tried as hard as I tried to negate some of those um, uncomfortable and negative feelings, um, while also just trying to accept it because that's who I am, uh, or that's just a part of who I am, um, I'm also aware that there's other options out there, and that's why I'm really happy that I've been able to commit to those self-practices and finding Neurostar TMS. We're talking to Drew Robinson on Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, and I'll quickly double down on, on Drew's comment there. A, I would recommend everybody just go, go talk to somebody if you need to talk to somebody. And also, to Drew's point, it's amazing how you think you're going to be fine and then you're not, and then you start to panic that you're going down the wrong way. So it's it's a long, long journey, Drew, and, and we appreciate your openness in talking about it. 
as you work with San Francisco and with the Giants to try and help players, how has that sort of changed around Major League Baseball, players' openness and willingness to talk about some of these difficult issues? Yeah, I think it's, it's just really important, and I think it's really, um, I don't know, inspiring or just intriguing to find or to see that it's really starting to become understood that that having these uncomfortable feelings or having bad days, um, I feel like a lot of people are starting to realize that that doesn't mean you're having a bad life, um, which is something that I fell victim to. Um, the all or nothing mentality, I think, is just so ingrained in, in athletes and having something go a certain way, whether it's good or bad, and falling into the trap that life is always going to be that way, whether it's good or bad. Um, and when it inevitably goes a little bit wrong, uh, falling in the trap of thinking that, you know, this is just the way my life is, or this is just the way it's going to go, um, or just simply having some irrational thoughts and emotions attached to something that might not be as significant, but our emotions just get a little bit more exaggerated or extreme um, just because of that irrationality factor of just being able, not being able to balance emotions sometimes. I think it's um, starting to become understood that that's okay to feel that way for a given amount of time. Um, and like I said, it's, it's, I think it's starting to come understood that it is temporary and that eventually it will pass. And I think that's the biggest strength about talking about mental health and about, and about emotional well-being openly and confidently, because like I said, realistically, everything is temporary. Um, but if you don't have that education or that awareness, it can seem like it's the end of the world every time something um, unfortunate happens to you. Yeah. And, Drew Robinson, former Major League Baseball player, is with us now working with the Giants. Um, to your point, the technology, the therapy, the the prescriptions, there are so many answers now that were not available before. Even what we now understand about neuroplasticity and the ability to make synapses and bridges in your brain to get you to go to positive spaces, grateful places, um, for your brain to choose to go there um, without having to actually do it consciously. All of those things are, are lights in the dark for people who struggle, but they need to know about it and there has to be intentionality with it. What have you learned most in your work with the Giants? Um, we're kind of running out of time here, but I'm, I'm just curious um, about um, how you can get other people in baseball to embrace these things and learn about them? Um, I think simply just, just leading by example. I think that's the best way anyone learns anything, really. Um, I think about just like simply learning stuff from my coaches in baseball terms um, through drill work or through whatever. Just seeing someone be able to be an example or being able to explain it so clearly that it makes enough sense. So for me, I think it's being an example of what a conversation around mental health looks like or sounds like. Um, and then again, walking the walk basically when it comes to taking care of myself and, and practicing some self care techniques or self love techniques. Like I think that's something I would have been so well not think I know I would have been so afraid to say out loud before. And I just, I wasn't doing it. And now the fact that I'm doing, it, I think talking about it so confident, confidently that it sounds like it's, that it would be weird not to do those things, I think is a really big step. Um, and in this process of making it become so far the norm, because for a long time, um, comparatively with the physical side of things, um, it wasn't as ingrained in, in sports the way it is now. So I think we're seeing that shift now with mental health and emotional well-being that um, guys are just realizing it's really important to address it and that it's, um, I don't know, it just improves the overall quality of life which inevitably will improve an athlete's performance. So um, being able to balance all areas of life 
Um, and, I, and that's, like I said, by leading by example, I think that's how a lot of those conversations and a lot of those um, interactions will change um, when it comes to those kind of things. Drew, we really appreciate your time. We appreciate the difficult conversations you're willing to have and uh, your willingness to come on and share them with us, man. We appreciate it so much. Thank you so much for the time and the information, my friend. Absolutely. I appreciate you guys having me on. Thanks, Drew. You guys can follow him on Twitter at Drew, R-O-B-B-B. So that's the way you can get to him on Twitter, Drew Robinson. I've also tweeted out the article that uh, Sarah and I both mentioned that Jeff Prasson wrote. It's an important read, so go out there and check it out. So a bunch going on around the world of sports. We'll get you caught up on several different stories next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Obviously, we'll get back to the NBA in just a few minutes. If you're just tuning in, we're a little short tonight. We're only a 90-minute show because we're getting you ready for the NBA action tonight. We'll get back to all of that. But first, there are several things going on in the world of sports, so we are going to cover them the way only this show can. Quickies with Spain and Fitz. We get in and out of topics fast. All right, Sarah, we start with a little golf news. Now, everybody knows I'm not a big golf guy, right? Like, I'm not a big golf fanatic. But today was admittedly a dangerous, dangerous day to be on the golf course because not just for the people playing, but for anybody that happened to be anywhere near the course, it was pretty easy to suddenly get hit with a golf ball. Now, I I hear about this happening, and I have never seen it happen multiple times in one day, but that's where we are today as uh, we have a couple of instances of this. Uh, Aaron Wise was hit in the head by Cameron Smith. Aaron tee shot during the second round of the PGA Championships, Southern Hills Country Club on Friday, and our very own Sage Steele was hit by an errant tee shot. So two different people today uh, took took damage from a golf ball. I'm glad I was nowhere near a course. Yeah, uh, hopefully they're both okay. We saw some shots of Aaron using his water bottle on top of his head like a sort of ice pack while he was finishing his round. Um, he went down on a knee for about 30 seconds per reports, but shook it off and then iced his head after the round. Seems to be okay and seemed to continue playing. We don't know how that, uh, you know, affected him, but more importantly, also Cam Smith, I'm sure, uh, a little rattled by that happening. And then there's a, a actually kind of like a grainy video of Sage, and it's hard to tell, but it looks like potentially um, she was hit in the mouth with the ball, which is really scary. The report said there was a fair amount of blood. She um, was walking along the tree line. Line, uh, when the ball went went awry and hit her. So our best thoughts to both of them. Also, this is uh, not out on the golf course, but the same thing I just saw happen to Kelsey Wingert, who's a baseball reporter. Um, she was hit with a 95-mile-an-hour drive in the forehead while oh covering Rockies and Giants. And she's handling it really well. The scans came back. There's a giant, probably 5-inch stitch scar up the top of her forehead and that's bad enough and scary enough, but she's getting married in a couple weeks. Oh, so no. she was posting that she really hopes that the scar from the stitches go away in time for the wedding. I'm like, oh my God, I'm either getting a new set of bangs and hoping they look good or rescheduling because I'm not doing all my wedding 
with a huge scar on my forehead. I'm so glad she's okay, though. That's so scary. There's going to be some uh, great makeup and photoshopping work yeah. done on that. Most yeah. importantly, of course, we want to make sure uh, everybody is healthy and everybody is fine and safe through all of this process. It's just wild to see so many things happen in one day. But most importantly... And by the way... Yeah, yes. of course. Uh, I, I forgot to mention in golf, like when we started the show, I think we were like, ah, eh, Tiger's not looking so good. Probably not a lot to get into with that. There's some big names at the top, but, you know, people will watch over the weekend. But he had two birdies in the last seven holes to make the cut. As bad as he looked and as in pain as he looked, a really incredible finish uh, to make the cut. So pretty impressive. Yeah, and I feel like golf, got, golf gods everywhere smile anytime that happens because yeah. it means the whole world will be paying attention. Let's go to the next story. Quickies. The Mountain West now joins the Pac-12 in announcing that they're going to be eliminating divisions for college football. This comes after the NCAA came back and said you don't have to have them. So now what the Mountain West is going to do, just like the Pac-12, they're going to put everybody in one big division and let their two best teams play for the conference title at the end of the regular season, much like we're used to seeing from the Big 12. Sarah, I think it's a really smart thing because it allows a conference to always give themselves a shot at having the best champion no matter what region they come out of. So I'm not a big fan of of separating these things out. If you put everybody in one division, you just let the two best teams in the entire conference, I should say, play for all the marbles at the end of the year. It gives all the conferences the best opportunity to put the best team forward. Fitz, I'm feeling a little redeemed, even though I said many times over the last five or six years that there was a sea change happening in college sports, and I was a little premature a couple times. Now it's really happening. Between NIL and, you know, issues with the NCAA uh, and, and, you know, the changes to format, the, the, the teams that are leaving different conferences, I mean, all of it. Coaches feasting on each other and threatening to expose each other's secrets, like... This is the kind of thing that I know a lot of people worried about as these like really big changes were coming. And I know if you're really old school, you probably hate everything that's gone on between NIL and transfer portals and everything else. In the end, the product's going to look different. You're going to have to adjust, but you can't keep something unfair just because you like it. You need Amen. to evolve, and that's what college football's doing. And it's going to be awkward for a while, and it's going to look different, but... In the end, we're trying to even out a system that was egregious for the entire history of its existence. Facts. Uh, Sarah was just in the zone, getting the zone brought to you by AutoZone. Get in the zone, AutoZone. Uh, let's go to the next story here. Quickies. A little soccer action here. FIFA intends to announce the 2026 World Cup sites during a news conference in New York on June 16th. They've now narrowed down 17 U.S. stadiums in 16 areas are still in the bidding for the first 48-team World Cup. So uh, L.A. has submitted both the uh, SoFi Stadium and the Rose Bowl. That's why you have that uh, with uh, 17 U.S. stadiums in 16 areas. But uh, of note, there are some places there that are trying to be part of it, including not uh, limited to Nashville, trying to get in on a little of that fun, sir. Was Chicago on the list? No, Chicago dropped out uh, in March of 2018 along with Minneapolis and Arizona because they said there were burdensome financial demands from FIFA. Um, and then there were a handful of other places that were cut around the same time. Uh, FedEx Field withdrew in April. Montreal dropped out in August. So it's kind of started whittling down either by choice or by being cut. And now there's a handful in Mexico and Canada and then a whole bunch in the U.S. And listen, we're still four years away, but I know people get fired up about that stuff. Um, so obviously they'll be ready for that announcement in June. You mean FIFA might be doing things dirty? Like who, who, who would have no. ever... 
<laughs> what about? No. no. We'll get I'd one more story go, in here. I'm almost okay with it not being here. Hey, man. Yeah. We'll get one more in real quick. Quickies. Quickies. There we go. Indiana big man Trace Jackson Davis announced Friday he's withdrawing his name from the NBA draft and he's going back to Bloomington. The the Hoosiers are already getting a little bit of hype, but that's a big, big move for Indiana and also kind of a surprising. These are the moments where I love what they've decided to do in college basketball where you can let them sort of dip their toes in the water, get through the process, and then figure out if they want to come back to school. This is a great example, to your point, of the evolution of everything. Like, now you've got a kid that can figure out the drafting process, and then he can decide he wants to go back and see if he can make his life better. I, I am all in for every ounce of it, but it's big for Indiana. Completely agree. Whether it's because he had conversations and didn't think he'd go as high as he thought, whether it's, you know, that he wasn't able to be a part of the draft combine because of alleged uh, potentially COVID, whatever reason, let him do it. got a bunch of good stuff going on this weekend though and since we are a short show tonight we got to pack it all in now it's spain and fitz sarah spain jason fitz espn radio espn app sirius xm channel 80 on a friday spain and fitz is presented by progressive insurance uh we'll get to that nba game but quickly fitz i'm psyched because uh the the sky have been playing without our finals mvp and she is now back not only is she back she has gathered two more finals MVPs since we last saw her, which seems almost unbelievable, but is 100% true. Kalia Copper, who was our finals MVP, is back from winning the Spanish League Championship, where she was the MVP in May, and the Euro League Championship, where she was the MVP in April, and is back with us. Uh, that's just one of the uh, big WNBA stories. The other one is two four and one teams taking on each other tonight. Uh, two of the best teams in the league as the sort of Commissioner's Cup vibe keeps going on. My girl, Elena Deladon, who's been back playing great with the Mystics, they're 4-1. And, and then the Atlanta Dream with Ryan Howard, who's come out as a rookie, while these other players can barely make a roster, and she is absolutely crushing. This one is not disappointing. It's early in the second two-point game right now. The Mystics are up 27-25. Yeah, and she, by the way, has been doing historic things. Like there, yeah. There's a moment where you look at it and say, okay, what do we expect from rookies when they first come into the league, she's exceeded every expectation you could ever possibly have. And uh, scoring at a clip that I don't think anybody, if, you, if you'd let, laid out the video game scenario for it, I don't think you could have expected that. So I, really amazing, especially because as we've talked about so much, we want to see these women have more opportunities to play. We want to see expansion in the WNBA when it makes sense. I, I love seeing young players come in and dominate right away because it's a reminder yeah. that that's an important uh, piece for the league. Also, you somehow left off the fact that, you know, uh, four and one's good, but five and one's better. I'm just mm -hmm. reminding you. I knew this Aces. was coming. Aces are mm -hmm. five and one. With, uh, Aces are five and one. I mean, maybe You're the right. most unstoppable offense in uh -huh. the WNBA and scoring mm -hmm. coming from everywhere. They play this weekend too. So feel free yeah, to go check it uh, out. By the way, also back to Ryan Howard quickly. You know who's even happier than she is about this is the dream because they traded up to get her, and this is proving that that was worth it. If you remember, um, 
that that was a big power move that they made in order to grab her at number one. They they knew she was going to go high, and they knew that that's who she want who they wanted. Uh, paying off so far. Uh, Spain and Bits is presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive can help you protect your home, auto, boat, motorcycle, ATV, RV, and more. And if something wasn't mentioned that you had in mind, find out if it can be covered. Go to progressive.com or one eight hundred Progressive because it probably can be. Uh, Spain and Fitz, uh, other things going on this weekend. Obviously, NHL playoffs continue. And while the NBA has at times let us down in terms of things being nice and tight, the NHL has never let us down. Stanley Cup playoffs consistently, if you have even a cursory knowledge of hockey, you understand that they are probably the best playoffs in all of sport. Yeah, no doubt. And by the way, the the Rangers are doing it like part of the drama about for me with the Stanley Cup playoff run in general is that it feels like every single goal is life or death. Like it's Mm -hmm. just it's the beginning or the end of your entire season. And then you start thinking about what we talked about last series with the Rangers ability to come back. They they were down three one in the series. They trail in every game after that, but they manage to win the series. And then they take on a Hurricanes team, and I'm thinking, okay, maybe it normalizes there. What do we get? We get another (laughs) one-goal game. So, like, Mm -hmm. there's just this moment for me, an overtime loss for them, that anytime the Rangers are playing right now, the one thing you can guarantee is that it's going to be a nail-biter, and you're going to, at the end of it, need a drink. And that's my kind of playoff action. So I'll take a little (laughs) bit of that uh, Carolina Rangers sauce uh, coming up uh, tonight. Everybody needed a drink last weekend. There were five game sevens between Saturday and Sunday. Five NHL game sevens to close out the first round. Unbelievable. Yeah, so obviously a lot of people will be watching the Carolina Rangers, but also that Tampa Bay-Florida series, the Battle of Florida, um, you've got Tampa Bay leading 2-0 right now, but this is the President's Trophy-winning Panthers who have been dying to get back into the mix for years, and then you've got a Lightning team that's trying to win a third straight cup. So that one's wild. Oh, and did then you see got... the? Do you see the game-winning goal with .9 seconds yeah. left? I mean, my God, that's what's great about it. Like you just uh, there, there was a mess in front of the net. Didn't think anything was going to happen from it, and then all of a sudden, oh, and and I, I don't forgive me for not remembering who was on the call, but the call was spectacular on it. It was it was glory be to God because it was well done on that one. Well, you've also got the battle of uh, of Canada with Edmonton, Calgary. Uh, not the one goal game that you mentioned uh, in the other <laughs> series because it was nine to six in the first game of that one. Uh, the battle of. America's hat. So lots of good NHL action. <laughs> so we'll keep an eye on that so as well. Are they get a trophy that looks like a little top hat? I kind of want that. Like, here ah, you that'd go. That'd be you nice. Top hat trophy. What's the old joke? You know, Canada's like a loft on top of a really good party or something. Oh, like wow. a loft. There's an apartment with a really. Anyway, who can know? Uh, on Around the Horn today, I tried to cleverly discuss uh, Canada being America's hat and the battle in Florida being America's. And then I realized that I couldn't say it, mm-hmm. uh, what I wanted to say. Uh, so I went with member. Zonely jacket. Um, just, wow. you know, look at a map. You'll figure out what I'm talking about. Yeah. Don't forget, you can also tune into an AL battle tomorrow as the Yankees host the White Sox, presented by Progressive Insurance. Coverage begins at 12.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. So lots of baseball going on. And again, NBA. We've got game two of the Mavs and the Warriors tonight. George Sedano was on Canty and Carlin a little bit before us today and talked about what the Mavs need to do to actually make this a series with Golden State. I would say that it's about their three-point shooting. Dallas had a ton of looks in that game, especially early on. 
And they really missed a golden opportunity when Steph and Clay were struggling in the first half. I think that, you know, as I mentioned, Clay didn't have any points, and I think Steph only had 12. Um, but it wasn't like Steph was hitting shots in that situation, and they were trailing by nine. They were three of 19 in that first quarter. And I believe of the 16 misses, 10 of them were wide open looks. So in my conversations with Jason Kidd, he feels like they're getting the shots they want. Their shot profile is fine. They just got to knock them down. And they're a team that's an elite three-point shooting team, and that's how they're going to win it. They're going to take as many threes as possible and then allow Luka to make the decisions. He's right. I mean, you're not going to have a situation where Clay and Steph are cold like that that often. And when you do, you have to pounce. And instead, the the, the Warriors managed to wade through that that issue and take Game One. That's especially bad if you're playing the Warriors under Steve Kerr, who are 19 and one in series where they win Game One. Unbelievable. Good lord. Uh, but I'll play the other side of it quickly, Sarah, and just say that you know. If the strategy is you didn't take advantage of the time that Golden State wasn't at their best, like that's not an uh, an inspiring message for me that gets right. me to winning a series. It's like, well, they weren't their best, and you didn't really capitalize on it. Uh, I, I'm not sure I can bank well, they weren't on their, Golden they State. They weren't port, their best either, though. It's not right. just needing the Warriors to not show up, but they missed 37 three-pointers. That's the second most all-time ever right. in any playoff game. So, like, they also – couldn't hit their own shots, which of course is, is part of that uh, of that calculation of not stepping up. But if they had been on fire, even if Clay and Steph had played better, they might have still had a chance, and they might in this series. But yeah, they got to make those shots. Yeah, well, and that's that's going to be when you live and die by that shot, right? Like I, I wouldn't mm-hmm. be surprised to see them get hot, have a game, but but nothing that I saw. Uh, or I haven't seen anything yet. Let's say it that way. That makes me rethink where I was on that series coming in. Yeah, I would agree, and I think there's not a lot of stats that are going to point you in the right direction, uh, particularly because of the success with Steve Kerr and this Warriors team, but also uh, the way the Mavs have have started. They're the sixth team in NBA history with three 20-point wins and three 20-point losses in a single postseason. None of the previous five won a title. Um, This is a this is a team that has now lost game one for the third time this postseason. No team has ever won their first three series of a postseason after losing game one each time. So they're they're digging some holes for themselves. They do bounce back often after those losses, but uh, they're going to really need to kick it into high gear tonight. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Coming up, we'll get into exactly what the Mavs have to do to rebound from that tough game one loss. We went to oh. the NBA uh, like retired players event the other night here. My husband is six five and he's never looked so small. It was just shout out to my guys, you know, who I met there that were really fun, who listen to our show all the time. They might be listening now, but like seven footers, all of a sudden you're mm. feeling real small. Oh yeah, That's Ryan Holland's at one point feels like right now. Like <laughs> Holland told me at one point, I had to stop giggling every time I saw him. I'm like, it's not my fault. You're really <laughs> tall. Uh, Mark Kestersher is going to be on the broadcast tonight. He's with us right now, ESPN Radio broadcaster. Uh, you can check out, obviously, Game 2 of the Western Conference Finals. Kesty, always appreciate your time and your insight. Warriors, Mavericks, 
What do the Mavericks have to do to get a bit different outcome out of this game? Well, first of all, I was 6'3 in eighth grade and never oh grew another inch again. Nice. So I felt oh. super tall, and then all yeah. my friends caught up to me, and then I've been hanging around basketball players for the last two decades. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I feel short. And also now mid-50s, and I see my dad, who used to be my height and now is like 5'11". Uh-huh. I'm like, that's what's coming for me I'm in about 25 years. I'm getting a lot closer years. to my dad every year. He's shrinking for sure. <laughs> exactly. And by the way, happy birthday, Dad. He's turning 80 on Sunday. So if he's oh, listening, that's awesome. happy birthday, happy birthday. Pops. Yes, I got to see him when I uh, covered a Heat game last week. And if the Heat make the playoffs, and I'm not uh, rooting either way because Boston would be fun, uh, get to see him again. So that would be awesome. Where were we? Oh, Dallas Mavericks. Um, We were in Steve Kerr's office, and I know he said this to us before, but, you know, for a guy who's been around this game. Initially, I was a little bit surprised at how deep he was getting and and how specific he got. Right, Nick Saban was specific about how Alabama was number two (laughs) in in, in recruiting and A&M was number one. And he talked about, he was talking to a group of business leaders and essentially saying, hey. not sure where the sun's coming from. There we go. That's all right. All right. I was, I was on, afraid it sir. was just me hearing it, so I'm glad <laughs> the that The voice is in your too. head, yeah. They, they talk right. sports. That's right. I was like, here it comes. <laughs> I just talked about age. Here it comes. Uh, Steve told us that, you know, about the human nature of game two. And we've, we saw it just last night, right? We've seen it in so many other games. The team that loses, and especially of late in the NBA, when you're losing by 20 or more, you know, you just, you know, you need to get in the win column. You need to sp- split those two games. And human nature for the other team is not to ease up a little bit, but not necessarily be able to match the intensity of the other team. And that's clearly what they're expecting from Dallas tonight. P.J. Carlissimo and I were watching Luka Doncic, and you can't read into warm-ups. And, you know, P.J. kind of saw him kind of, you know, flexing that shoulder a little bit and shaking his hand after shots, and he was off a little bit early, but then I saw him make like 10 in a row. So you never know. I fully expect him to come with much more ferocity and aggression tonight. Is it as simple as the Mavs need to make more of their threes because they depend on that shot? Or are the Warriors still going to be so offensively dominant that you could score a whole lot and still not keep up? I think the first part, Sarah, is the three-pointers. They tracked them and would they have uh, they took 48 of them 28 of them were completely uncontested mm. so more than half were uncontested threes that those guys normally make in their sleep and they only made eight of the 28 so you would think uh you know just based on the law of averages that's going to be on top but your point about defense is also important because golden state never gets you know their due on what a good defensive team they are and you know dallas turned it around boston turned it around this year and both those teams have been hot defenses. And Jason Kidd, uh, you watch him with his team during the game on defense, and he's right there like he's the sixth player. And you don't see that as much from Golden State, but that's, you know, they've got the corporate knowledge there. they got all the guys who've been doing it, uh, you know, throughout this run. And then you add a guy like, you know, Wiggins out there and Kevon Looney, who I, I still include as that core guy. And, you know, they play such good defense there. You can't get out to all those shots. Even Steve Kerr would tell you that. You know, you're going to get open looks, and you're going to have to hope that they miss some of those. But to miss 20 of them was off the chart. So I'd lean more toward uh, the former, and, and some of those three-pointers are going to go, in, and we'll have to for a team that's dependent on it here on this run. I totally hear you, Kesty, when when you say you can't get out to all of those shots. But where was the breakdown that allowed for that many open looks, and can can that be fixed? You know, from where you know we're not courtside, where we have a nice little perch here in San Francisco, and I just remember saying at least ten times, if not more, 
you know, short off the front rim. And I don't know if it was legs. I don't know if it was the fact that the Warriors had two extra days. There, there were two days off between Game 7 and Game 1 for Dallas. So, you know, that's probably not the answer. They didn't go home. They stayed in Phoenix and then flew here the next day. But they just seemed like a half beat off. And in the games where they don't get off to a good start, they have succumbed quickly. We saw that in games one and two in Phoenix and a little bit in game five as well. And, and they just got off to a bad start, never recovered. So I think, you know, if that is something they could fix, maybe, and there's only one day off between game one and now, is, you know, maybe got off their feet a little bit and just come out with a little more ferocity, uh, you know, want to. I don't know any other words to say. All, all the other uh, phrases, you know, athletic phrases we say out there, and maybe they'll be more crisp and those shots will go in. Spain and Fitz, we're talking to Mark Kestisher ahead of tonight's broadcast of Game 2 of the Western Conference Finals between the Warriors and the Mavs. Is there a particular matchup that you're looking at, either defensively or, um, you know, players that after after Game 1 you really want to see how they're fair? I- I'm curious if there's one you've got your eye on. Yeah, I think it's the obvious one, too, because, uh, you know, I was on a couple of shows before Game 1, and, and the question was, you know, who's going to pick up Luka Doncic? And I was like, well... Everything I'm hearing, the primary guy is going to be Andrew Wiggins, and it was always a surprise to everybody. You know, really, Wiggins, not Draymond mm. Green or, or whomever? And he was so good. You know, maybe, you know, it wasn't a complete shutdown because Luka did have 18 in the first half, but he got into him early. Uh, he tried to stay ahead of him, and when he didn't, he recovered well. Uh, and then Looney followed him, and Clay Thompson got a couple shots at him as well. So I just want to see the next game. We saw Luka when he got attacked defensively in Game 2 in Phoenix. He came out and looked like a different player on the defensive end in Game 3. And so you know Luka's going to want to make Andrew pay for that. So I'm going to stay with the obvious matchup, and that is if, and I'm assuming, Steve Kerr is going to start Andrew Wiggins on Luka Doncic, and why wouldn't he, to see if Mm -hmm. he's as successful tonight. You can listen to him on the broadcast coming up right after we uh, finish our show. Mark Kestersher, Kesty, always appreciates your time. Happy birthday to your dad, and thanks for hanging out with us. Appreciate that, and uh, hopefully we'll talk again soon. Thank you, my friend. Thanks, Cassie. Uh, it's it's going to be interesting, Thanks, Sarah. Sarah, because it's all about adjustments, right? Like, that's what we always talk about when we go game to game. I just uh, – we've oversimplified maybe, but your point is such a, a great one that Dallas had all these open looks. So I want to believe that they can just go in and hit their open looks, but that also – I, I guess I just still look at the Warriors and say, yeah, but the Warriors can score on anybody whenever, right. however they want. I, it's like Dallas has got so many things they've got to change from one game to the next. It just feels like it's asking a lot. I don't know that I'm asking the, the Mavs to turn around and be completely different. I just want to see one of the issues be shored up, and then maybe we believe we can get a series. Yeah, I mean, I think the issue is you can make a ton of adjustments and do your best, but if you're the worst team – that's not necessarily going to work out for you. <laughs> and that's no shade to the Mavs. I've been really impressed by their run, and you and I both thought that they were going to lose to the Suns. You know, this is a team that has outperformed expectations. So running into the buzzsaw that is the Warriors, there's no shame in losing this series, but you would like it to be a little bit more comfortable. In the last 10 games, the Warriors have averaged more points, more rebounds, more assists, uh more steals, more blocks, better shooting percentage, you know. So they might just be the better team. But we've seen Luka do some magical things, and maybe he's got some more tricks up his sleeve still. Yeah, you're right. It wouldn't be the first time Luka won a game, even if his team wasn't the better team on the court. 